0: We'll be continuing in the story of Elijah and Elisha. All right, so we took a little bit of a break for Easter, uh, but just a reminder, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, what did we see? We saw uh, Israel being saved out of idolatry, that their heart was turned back uh, through the miraculous fire from heaven, this test of the idols of Baal, we saw the, the false prophets destroyed and we saw Elijah's prayer. That he could finally pray for rain because judgment had ended. There was no need for his people to suffer anymore because they had turned from their idols and Elijah, it seems, uh, had saved Israel but as we're going to see, he, he did not save himself. That he thought that, that the the suffering was over, and he realizes that that now all of that suffering is now pointed upon himself. Just outside the city, he hears from Jezebel, Ahab's uh, wife and queen. Chapter nineteen. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically saying, uh, upon my very life, I will kill you and make you just as dead as the prophets of Baal that you destroyed. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. All right. So after this great victory for God, where is Elijah left? Elijah is fleeing for his life. He is in exile, and we're going to see he's breaking down under the weight of his prophetic call. He's completely crushed by this defeat, that he thought that he'd been victorious, that he'd been this great prophet and proved God, and now all the people are going to turn, and it hasn't happened that way. And so we're gonna encounter him in the middle of the desert, interacting with God. And how does how does God interact with this discouraged, broken, despairing man in the midst of of defeat? And we're gonna see, see four things. All right, first, he's gonna to call Tim to, to a spiritual journey, a deeper spiritual journey than he realized. He's gonna encounter God in a way that challenges his understanding of who God is, he's going to find that he is not alone. He's going to find partners in this mission. But uh, ultimately, what is he going to get? Uh, he's going to be brought into the larger story of God's redemption. And he's going to see that he is not the, the end of the line. He is but one more and a continuing story that leads to Christ and the redemption and the salvation that's found in him. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, It's a difficult text, uh, some complicated things going on, but uh, the Lord will help us, so let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the ways that you care for us in the midst of our doubt and despair. Lord, as we journey through the desert, we ask that uh, you would help us to cling to Christ that you would feed us and nourish us and sustain us that you would show us your glory and your purposes and that you would not leave us alone Father would you uh, would you work in the lives of those who are suffering and who are despairing Lord would you give them Christ would you encourage them that they are uh, not walking alone they are not uh the only ones in the wilderness. And thank you, Jesus, for walking first, uh, for defeating all of our enemies, and for ensuring that we will make it to the destination that you've called us to. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us to understand and to apply these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we begin uh, by seeing Elijah uh, called into this spiritual journey. So he leaves Beersheba, And he's ventured out into the wilderness. Once again, he keeps finding himself in the wilderness. And verse 4. So he left his servant. But he himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. All right, so this is is a prayer of of death. That is what he's left with after this showdown in Carmel, this great, amazing victory, but it seems that nothing has changed. Queen Jezebel is still in power, Ahab is still kind of a puppet. The people have not risen up to, to defeat idolatry, and he seems to have defeated, been kind of lost even as God seems to have won. And why why is he he so despairing? He says, because I am no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my fathers. And we see this sense of of burden that he wanted to be this this prophet that would save his people from idolatry. That he alone would be escaping from, from despair, that he would be victorious where others were not. And seeing that he is not better, that he has not offered this final solution, uh, he's done. That death would be better for him. Now, do we ever feel this way? That we've set out to do good and we fail. We've set out to be better than our fathers and yet we are the same as them, or we long for change out in the world and we cannot bring it, we do not. Or we have this plan for what it would look like for God to be victorious, and it doesn't happen. And we despair of the mission that we're on. Now, as we find ourselves there, how does God respond? Where does he meet us in that place? Now, of all the things, surprisingly he calls Elijah into a deeper, harder spiritual journey and reminds him and and draws him into the wilderness. Verse 5. Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at the head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food, forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. Right. So as Elijah calls out, like, Lord, will you just kill me already? I'm done. First, the Lord does not offer this rebuke. Like, how, how dare you try to escape your calling? Get back out there. All right. He doesn't also say, he doesn't say, like, no, you're doing great. You can do it. You have everything you need. Like, go, just get on out there. He doesn't say that. Uh, all right, now, this one, this one, I actually, I actually like wrote a whole sermon like surrounding this, and I was wrong, so I had to change it. Um, he doesn't say what you need is just, like, some R&R. You just need food and rest. And, and then stop there. Like, you know, just take a break from ministry for a while. You'll be okay. You're just running too hard. All right, what does he say? He says, the journey is too great for you. And he says, you know what? You think, you think you've gone into the wilderness? You want a day's journey? you have a 40 days journey ahead of you. 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And yes, he gets that R&R, he gets, he gets the sustenance that he needs, but not, not to take him out of ministry or out of suffering. It's that he'd be equipped to go deeper into it, further into the wilderness, further into this hardship. Uh, and he needs, he needs to be sustained not to get out, but to get in. And so, uh, I don't usually do this, but he has, he has a, I have a map for us. Here we go. Um, all right, so uh, so he, he was in Jezreel, right, up the, at the top. It's, it's an ugly map, so that it's simple. All right, good. All right. Uh, so he went one day's journey into Beersheba in the like, okay, he's like a little bit in there. All right, he has to go all the way down to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. He's going deep, deep, deep into the desert. And this is the very same journey that Moses led the people on through the wilderness for 40 years. All right. That's, that's the journey that this, this broken and defeated man needs to take. All right, so why? Why? Why is this the solution to his problems? All right, he is being being wrapped up in this larger story. And he's being revealed, it's revealing to him that, all right. He cannot, and, and no one can take on this mission by themselves, first of all, and they're not the end of the story. All right, Moses, Moses already did this story. That's what he's trying to remind him. This is not the first time this happened, Elijah. For 40 years, I fed my people day in and day out with bread from heaven and with water from the rock. And I had this great leader, Moses, who was faithful and doing miracles. And and what happened? Israel fell into idolatry. They grumbled against God. They did not turn. Their hearts were cold. And he's saying, this is, this is a bigger problem. This is all of idolatry and sin. And Moses battled it. And you were going to battle it. Moses was discouraged. You were going to get discouraged because this is a much bigger story. And you are not the one who is the, the end of this story. You are not the savior. You are not the victor. There are bigger things that need to happen. There are deeper enemies and deeper battles to fight. He needs to be humbled. And realize that, that, yes, this life is a life of suffering. This life is a life of of battling in the desert and dependence upon the Lord and weakness and inability. The journey is is too great for us. Now we think, oh, that's not that helpful. (laughs) It's not what I wanted to hear. All right, but the nice thing is that, uh, okay, Moses did it, and Elijah did it, and they both end up this, like, whining, complaining, crying out to God. And then we have one more person who does it, and he does it perfectly. We have Jesus Christ, the final prophet who was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he was tempted. And there he was tried. And he, he battled with Satan. And what sustained him? Not bread, not water, the word of the Lord. He's actually given the temptation of, of turning rocks into bread. And when he said, no, I, I'll be sustained by the word of the Lord. And we realized that it wasn't about Moses or Elijah. They were only pointing to the perfect one, the real savior, the one who would really walk through the wilderness and see his people through, the real leader. And where Elijah was given provisions beforehand, Jesus didn't get him until afterwards. He does it himself. Because he's the end of the story, not Elijah. Elijah. All right. Now, in seeing all these parallels, okay, what does that leave us with? All right. I'm, I'm thankful we're doing communion today. Uh, it leaves us with a Savior who sustains us through the desert. With this one who is the bread of life and who is the living water. Who is the ultimate leader. Thankfully, it's not about Elijah. It's about Jesus. And as we feed upon Jesus, as we drink his very blood, as we are nourished by his leadership and his drawing and his calling, we are able to walk through the desert. All right. This is a calling to, to return to Jesus and to recognize that Jesus already walked this path If we are called into the desert, it's not because we're being punished. It's not because of our failure. It's to walk the footsteps of Jesus and to walk with him and to know that he has already walked and been victorious and offered himself to sustain us along the way. All right. So, in your defeat and in your despair, are you entering the story? Are you seeing this is a path that, that Jesus has walked, that the leaders of Israel have walked? And are you looking to Christ to sustain you, to see you through? Are you feasting upon him? Are you going to him? Is he nourishing you? Or are you looking to other things? The journey is too great to not be, be living by the supernatural nourishment of Christ. All right. All right, so that's the journey, but what, what are we going to get there? What does Elijah see when he finally gets to where he is going when he takes it to Mount Sinai? An encounter with the glory of God. An encounter with the glory of God. All right, so Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, same place. Two different names. You know Mount Sinai. That's uh, Ten Commandments. That's where where Moses received the Ten Commandments, where he beheld the glory of God. Verse 9. There he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. All right. So he meets God on the mountain and has this, this telling of the story. And in it, there's this call like, God, you need to do something and do something quick. Because I'm the only one left, and if you don't work now, there's going to be no one left to worship you. No one left to save Israel. I'm your last shot, and and I'm about to die. So you better do something quick. All right. So God says, you know, wait for me. I'll come. I'll come to you. And give you what you need. So verse 11. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Alright, now what, what is going on here? Well, this is, this is God revealing his, his glory to Elijah. It's not the first time this has happened. Uh, he did the same for Moses. Moses, in his discouragement, like, I, God, I, I'm tired of leading this people. Will you show me your glory? And that glory was meant to sustain him and and help him to continue on in ministering to an idolatrous people. And now, Elijah's getting that same thing, this, this gift to behold the glory of God. But Elijah, it, it has a little, little message in it. All right, so he gets wind and earthquake and fire. But what does he see? The Lord is not in those things. Lord was not in them and that's where he had this certain perception perception of, of what it would look like for god to glorify himself and for god to come in glory and it would come with fire and earthquakes and wind it would come in an awesome power and devastation and this is kind of this this is elijah's he likes this stuff We're going to see he's like the master of raining fire down from heaven. That's his favorite way of showing off God. And what does he see? It's like that's not the picture of God that he needs right now. And that God is not what most needed as this revelation of judgment and power and destruction. that what is going to give God's victory, it's not going to be through those things. It's not going to be because everyone was, was terrified before the Lord and so they, they fled their idolatry. No, he realizes that what is, the, what is God's presence and his glorious manifestation look like? A low whisper. It looks like the word of the Lord gently spoken, a still, small voice, that that is the glorious picture of God that Elijah needed. right, why? Because he needs to see that in all of these miracles, God had a better plan. And that God has been making that whole plan through all of these cycles of Israel's rebellion and idolatry. And that it's not that God isn't working. No, it's that he's working this entire time in a whisper, in weaving together the story, in moving all of these things along in a way that Elijah can't see and won't see. That just because there isn't fire raining down from heaven doesn't mean that God isn't there. And that actually, what Elijah needs is to believe that God is working and to hear that voice, to see the plan that's unfolding and to find his place in it. We talked two weeks ago about how he he heard the rain before it came. In that moment, he was able to, to hear the low whisper, He'll hear the kind of, and see the, the plan of God unfolding. All right, he has lost it. He's exalted himself and seen him, his place in the story and not saying that no, this is the God of the universe. He is ever working, he's ever speaking. And that as he speaks to his people and calls to their hearts, that is how they're going to change. Now, we've talked about, okay, this is the bigger story. Uh, What does this lead to? Once again, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. What story do we think of is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration going up and not just seeing a revelation of the glory of God, but becoming the revelation of the glory of God. And who meets him there but Moses and Elijah. And we realize that like when they were beholding the glory of God, when they were hearing that still small voice, who was it? It was Jesus in his glory. It was all moving towards this eternal Savior, the Son of God incarnate, the glory of God revealed, the word of God made into flesh. And then as we think about, okay, what what journey is God bringing us towards? He's taking us to the mountain. He's taking us through the wilderness to do what? To show us the glory of the Son. To show us that all things are for his glory. To show us that, actually, it's not about us. It's about reflecting the glory of the Son of God. That Moses and Elijah... Their purpose was not to be the Savior, it was to to image the Saviour and point to the Saviour. Be ones who, in their suffering, in their sorrow, in bearing their cross, they reflect the glory of the ultimate one. That 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 is our encouragement. That we might look like Jesus and reflect his glory. And hear the low whisper that points to Jesus Christ. I think of the, the children's book. Um, what's it called? That the, every story whispers his name. Every story whispers the name of Jesus. Like that's what this is. And as we look at our own lives, we think, okay, I my life whispers the story of Jesus. I need to proclaim the story of Jesus. That's why Matthew seventeen five. On the top of that mountain figure, transfiguration, what do we see? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All things are to push us to, to seeing and hearing the word of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That then we will find our proper place. Then we will not despair. Then we will not say, I have failed, I have been defeated You were never supposed to be victorious. Jesus was. Finally, finally, we get one last thing. In Elijah's despair, what does he give him? In a very practical sense, he gives him ministry partners and fellow believers. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah. He said once again, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. All right, so he hears, he hears like, oh yeah, right, there's this whisper. God's working all things in this great plan. Uh, but still, all he sees is himself. And so, verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall appoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the the son of Shaphat, of uh, of Abel, Mahaloah, you shall appoint to be prophet in your place. The one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He goes on and, and anoints Elisha and they, they go on together. All right, what does he see? he sees that he was wrong in his despair. That he'd construed this vision of, of what reality was and forgot that there was a God who was working in the midst of all of these things. He thought, I, I'm, I'm alone. And the only way that God can be victorious is through me. And clearly he hasn't done it. So clearly he's, he's forgotten and it's all over for Israel. All right. We can be very self-centered, self-deluded, self, self-obsessed, and think that if it doesn't, if it's not me who does it, who will do it? The Lord will. <laughs> the Lord will, and He can. And so He, he says, "Oh, uh." I'm going to make one of my servants, one of the Gentile, the pagan kings, and I'll use him. I don't need you, Elijah. He says, I, I already have a plan for taking Ahab out of reign, creating a whole new giant dynasty through Jehu. And if I need a prophet, I can get another prophet. I'll appoint Elisha. Now Elijah is the funniest one because uh, even as Elijah is saying, like I, I am one of a kind. I'm the only one like me. I'm the only one who can do these things. That's kind of like a, a joke that God plays. Is He makes Elijah almost like exactly like Elijah, a carbon copy almost, in that like they do the same miracles, they they go through the same struggles the same kinds of things, and it's as if God says, like, no, you're not irreplaceable. I can make another. Because it was not about any of them, it was about Jesus. It was about an ultimate Savior, not about you. And in his despair, he needed to hear that. In our despair and in our despondency, in our brokenness, we need to hear that. That the Lord is working in and around us in spite of us. If he chooses to use us, great. But he doesn't need us. And salvation isn't in our hands. Fixing the world is not in our hands. They're in his he goes on to to say that, okay, and also, you're not the only one left. There are 7,000. 7,000 people who I have preserved and made sure are not worshiping Baal. Not everyone is idolatrous as you might think. 7,000 people are okay. He's saying, we're going to share this burden. To Moses, when he was discouraged, what did he say? He said, Fine, I'll I'll give 70 other people the Holy Spirit, and they can all do the work too. All right, to us, what does he say? He says, I have preserved 144,000. Remember in Revelation when we talked about that? The 144,000? 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And what, what was that a picture of? The multitudes. The multitudes of people from every tribe and tongue and nation and peoples Vast numbers of people. All right, when you are discouraged and when you are despairing, recognize you are never alone. That before us stand witnesses, witnesses to the faithfulness of God who have run the race ahead of us. And after us will run countless others who will continue the work There are other churches. There are other nations of believers. There are other tribes and tongues. This is so much bigger than you and than me and than of us. This is God's eternal plan through all of history in every place, among every people group. And so, what would I, I call you to? I'd call you to, to remember that God is working. To remember that there are plans so much bigger than us. On a simple level, I would tell you, if you are in despair and you are discouraged, find some people to be with you. Do not try to be alone. It, it is discouraging, because you, you start to think like Elijah did. I'm, I'm the only one left. You are not. That's why we have this body. That's why we have Christian friendships. That's why we have mentors and leaders. Right. Find your community. Share with others your despair. Walk alongside them. Bear your cross together. Because what is the promise? The promise is that yes, we are walking through the wilderness, but we are walking towards the revelation of the glory of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And the very blood of Christ will sustain us. The body of Christ will sustain us. He has died for our sins. He has borne our suffering. He has brought us into a larger body that we might all find salvation together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, you have intricately woven your scriptures together, and Father, ask we find our place in them. Lord, as we walk through the wilderness, I ask that we would trust you that we would not try to run back to Egypt, that we would not try to run back to the, the comforts of idolatry. Lord, that we would not, in our pride, think that, uh, that we can make the journey alone. But Father, would you give us Jesus Christ? Would you sustain us with his word? Would you sustain us with his very body and blood? Lord, would you help us to see your glory, that you are ever working, ever in control, and that you love us and know what you are doing. Father, would you help us to walk alongside others, to know that, uh, that we are not alone. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit to encourage us Jesus would you draw close to us as your great comforter? And Father, would you help us uh, to bear a great hope in Jesus Christ our Savior? we pray in Christ's name.